0: John uh, 16, verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus is speaking, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He's speaking of the devil there. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then Jesus, and I'll end with this verse, Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So I'm going to pray for us out loud, and I just want you to pray a very simple prayer for yourself, no matter where you are on the spectrum of your journey personally with the Holy Spirit. You you may be a little hesitant. You may be full-blown swinging from the chandeliers, charismatic. It it doesn't matter where you are today, but here's here's the actuality. The Holy Spirit is God, and if we need to know God more, then we need to know the Holy Spirit more. And so that's the safest prayer you can pray, Holy Spirit. I want to know you, and I want to experience you. So, Father, we come, and I pray as all of these verses are about to be released, I pray, Holy Spirit, don't let it be a talk about you and you not show up. We need your touch. We want your presence. You are the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You are the one according to the Son of God who guides us into all truth, who makes known to us things that are to come. You are the one who convicts us of righteousness and sin and judgment to come. We want your work amidst us this morning. So move on every heart. Educate us. But don't just educate us this morning. Encounter us, Holy Spirit. Stretch us. Bend us to the will of the Father. Fashion us into the likeness of the Son. Give us a rejoicing freedom and growing appetite to encounter you, to experience you, that your gifts may flow from our lives to enrich others. We do not want more gifts as toys. We want the gifts as tools to make Jesus known and to bless others with all that you've done in our lives. So we confess singularly in one voice, we are dependent upon you, Holy Spirit. So stretch us this morning, wrap us around truth, and let us rejoice as we know you, God the Spirit, as God in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I forewarned you that there'd be a lot of verses today, and so I'll direct your attention to some of the slides this morning, but I want to just really kind of walk us through some very uh, principled statements about the Holy Spirit from Scripture Who is he and what does he do? I don't have time to go into uh, trying to give an apologetic of the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. Let me just state this, and you can follow it up however you want, but the Holy Spirit is not a force sent from God. He's not a power of God. The Holy Spirit is not something that comes from God while not being God. The Holy Spirit is God. And to get very specific, listen, as much as we're comfortable with the language about Jesus living in our heart, I don't want to split a hair just for hair splitting sake, but I do want to be accurate. Jesus actually doesn't live in your heart. The Holy Spirit lives in you, the temple. So you are the temple of God. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Jesus is actually sitting on a throne in a body in heaven. That is where he is right now, and he will return to this earth. So when we think about the Holy Spirit, let's remember this. He's not a, 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 you know, a zap from heaven. He's not some cool thing that God sends down. It, the Holy Spirit must be reverenced, worshipped, adored, prayed to as God. And so we've got to correct our thinking, and what that does for me, it did this years ago. You've got to remember where I came from. I was a fundamentalist Baptist who was very suspicious of any talk about the Holy Spirit, because I had seen the way that some people had, in my opinion, abused who he was and abused what was taught about him. So I was suspicious, and my answer to that was, let's ignore him. We want to acknowledge him. Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, please attend our services. Just don't move and don't do anything. That was really the way I was, and I was just trained that way because I was focused on all of the abuses of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But what happened is I started reading in Scripture, and I recognized he's God, Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. How in the world can my attitude towards God be? Please don't do anything. And so it started shifting my thinking, and it liberated me not to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is a principle that I say every now and then, but it might be good to repeat right now. You never judge the validity of a doctrine based on how some people abuse it. So every doctrine is abused somewhere by somebody. And if we're going to dismiss every doctrine that is abused, then we have no doctrine left. So what do we do? We say, what does the Bible reveal about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? And when we do that, we give ourselves to the truth no matter who it might offend, no matter what it might do in our denominational sending ripples, no matter what, it, what the after effect or consequences are. We want to know what is true because Jesus operates in truth. And so when I look at the Holy Spirit in the scripture and Jesus says that it's better for Jesus not to be here, it's what he told the disciples in John 16. He looked at his disciples and he says, I'm leaving and it's actually really good for you that I'm leaving because if I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and it's going to create a whole new dynamic in the church. And so let's look at what this might mean. I'm going to give you a lot of stuff, so let's just begin here. Very quickly, his name is the Holy Spirit, so it behooves me to start with this reality, that the Holy Spirit purifies us. The Holy Spirit purifies us. Let me give you four verses, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Paul has detailed a lot of sinful history with people, and he says, Such were some of you. You used to live like this, Paul says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Jesus is the source of our positional purity. In other words, I stand before the Father right now today as pure as Jesus And I don't feel that way. I can give you a long list of practical ways where I have violated that position of purity in my history. But when God looks at you as a Christian, he sees the purity of his son Jesus. Jesus' righteousness is imputed to you. Jesus is the source of your purity positionally, but the Holy Spirit is the agency of your purity. He sealed it for you. And it's not just your position, it's your practical purity. That's why Paul said, you used to live like this, but now because you have been saved and justified, it is through the washing. It is through the sanctifying. It is the justification that Jesus provided and the Holy Spirit sealed on you. That's why Paul could say in another place, if you are in Christ, you're a brand new creation. The old things are passed away and all things are becoming new. Paul would write to a young pastor named Titus in Titus chapter 3, Verses 4, 5, and 6, he said this, When the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. How did that occur? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Again, it's a different way of saying the same thought. That because the Holy Spirit came into the temple of your body, he brought a cleansing and a washing. It is sealed in heaven and you are progressively experiencing it through sanctification here on earth. And so it's easy for me to say that all people that are born again are in some process of being purified. We are coming into full alignment with our position that is already secured in Christ he secured us in righteousness when he gave us bl- a life on the cross his blood has cleansed us we are justified we are saved we are um, pardoned and forgiven but w- reality says this yeah but what about the reality that I still struggle I still sin sometimes well here's the thing your attitude about your sin is completely different as a Christian than it was as an unbeliever you don't enjoy your sin anymore if you enjoy your sin it's because you're not saved if you sin and you're grieved that's a great indication that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And he's saying, no, this streak on your life must be washed. And he washes you through his work and through the work of the Word of God. Romans fourteen nineteen, Paul was refereeing between Christians who were trying to make different rules for each other in the kingdom. That sport has not gone away. Uh, I'm telling you, it still exists today. And in Romans 14, Paul's refereeing between these two groups. He says, the kingdom of God It's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not what you can or can't eat or you can or you can't drink. He says the kingdom of God is of righteousness, first thing he writes, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul says y'all are focusing on the external issues. That's the nature of religion. Man's religion will go straight to what is happening on the outside. And Paul goes inward. He says, no, the evidence of a life that's being transformed by the Holy Spirit is that life will be righteous and they will also be characterized by joy in the Holy Spirit and the peace of the Holy Spirit. So again, why am I doing this? I'm emphasizing over and over again. Friends, we have to be wise and we need to remain committed as, as, as the world gets more and more decadent, as the church gets more and more compromised. I want us to remember that the primary adjective that we know about the Holy Spirit is holy, holy. Holiness is not legalism. Holiness is actually the expression of the nature of God through our lives. And so if we are Spirit-filled, if we are Holy Spirit-filled, if we are Spirit-directed and Spirit-led, the primary thing that will be coming off our lives is not one of the gifts of the Spirit primarily. There's a lot of people that can operate in the gifts of the Spirit that aren't operating in the holiness of the Spirit. That's why Paul rebuked the church at Corinth. They were flowing in gifts. He says, you come behind in no gift, but they weren't flowing in the fruit of the Spirit, love and peace and joy and righteousness and so on. And so in Galatians 5.22, let me give you this before moving on and talking about the power from the Holy Spirit. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control. Let me pause there for a moment. I'm going to leave the verse up on the screen. When we want to know if somebody's baptized in the Holy Spirit, can I encourage you, don't just check it off the list because they've had a supernatural experience with tongues. Don't just Don't, don't just rush there. I don't want to simply have a checklist off of an experience that I had so I can declare myself spirit-baptized or spirit-filled. If I want to know if I am walking filled with the Spirit, it has less to do with tongues and more to do with Galatians 5.22. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Paul says, against these things there's no law. And now verse 24, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he gives you a diagnostic in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, if we're living in the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. I love this because what Paul is saying is that When we are people that are walking in step with the Spirit, our lives are Spirit-filled, our lives are Spirit-led, then one of the results is this washing and cleansing and purifying and sanctifying will begin to characterize our lives, and God says, I want you to cooperate with that. So we're in a constant process of being crucified to the world and having our flesh crucified. Let me encourage some of you, because Galatians 5 is very direct. And I remember I've read through this at times in a season where maybe I was struggling with something. And I'd read through that and I'm like, man, it says that my flesh is crucified and all of its longings and passions are crucified. And I'm thinking, I'm not experiencing that right now. There's parts of me that are alive and well that need to die. I want to encourage you, without enabling a lax attitude about sin or sanctification, I want to tell you, crucifixion is not an immediate death. You know how people on the cross ultimately succumbed? Suffocation. The the crucifixion was an instrument of torture created by primarily the Romans in order to inflict a long and prolonged death. And it would be awesome if you got saved and all all of a sudden all of your propensity to sin was immediately killed and you never struggled with it again. But the reality is, is that you're carrying the cross as you're nailed to the cross and you're dying daily. And so what Paul is saying here is we have entered in and should be growing in into a cooperation with the Holy Spirit whereby we are being made practically holy. So no need to debate that. It's very clear in Scripture. And so let's go on into the next one. We're talking about God the Spirit living in us. He's not only washing us, but he does empower us. And a lot of us, I, I love this. I love the reality that the almighty God creator of the world lives inside of my body. That's that's not symbolism. It's spiritual reality that God the Spirit lives inside the body of every single believer. That means Abraham's God, Moses' God, David's God, Elijah's God, Isaiah's God, Peter's God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ dwells inside of the temple of my body right now. If you're saved right now, God lives in you. Everywhere you go, it's you and God. And so wherever we are, he's not simply looking out over us, if we want to portray it that way. He's not just simply omnipresent. Friends, he is inhabiting you. He's not only with you, he's in you. And because of that, we have a power that is not limited by the normal laws of nature and physiology, now, this may sound more like H.G. Wells to you than it does the Apostle Paul, but it's nonetheless true. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the spiritual life, the supernatural life, that literally the greater component of who you are is spiritual, not physical. It may be cliche, but you've probably heard it said that you are not a body that has a spirit, that you are, you are actually a spirit that is contained in a body. And your human spirit is becoming conformed by the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus gives us these words in John chapter 6. Very simple. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. When it comes to the kingdom, when it comes to our our identity and our activity in the kingdom, as we are living lives that want to honor God and bless other people and we're denying ourselves, you can't do that in the flesh. Even your pretty flesh even your proud flesh, even the, the, the super-maintained uh, and impeccably manicured aspects of your flesh, even your disciplines, even your intentions, even your intelligence or your education, all of that stuff apart from the flesh, excuse me, apart from the Holy Spirit, produces nothing according to Jesus. Now, it'll impress me, and it might impress you, but when Jesus looks at it, he says, I'm not impressed. Why? Why? Well, Jeff, what you just did, that smells like flesh to me. That doesn't impress me. And so what that does is it forces us out of a dependence upon our own power. It forces us beyond our own gifting, both natural and supernatural gifting. It forces us into a place of humility and decrease so that we may encounter the God of increase. John, in John chapter 3, Jesus was speaking to one of the most religious, moral um, outwardly righteous people of his day. You know the man Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And Nicodemus, don't marvel that I said to you, you've, you've got to be born again. Because Nicodemus, didn't, he, he didn't understand the spiritual birth. And by the way, nobody really did. Up until that point. And what Jesus was saying to a man who was sincerely wanting to understand what he had been teaching, Jesus was saying, you're not going to get this through the abilities in your natural faculties. You're not going to be able to understand just with your intellect. You're not going to be able to perform just with your will. You have to recognize, Nicodemus, that you and all mankind stands in need of a rebirth. If you ever wonder why your leaders and others in this assembly speak negatively and use the word religion, um, in, centuries ago, the word religion meant something very different. When we use it today, it's almost always in the negative because it defines man's religion, human religion, man's concocted ways and ideas about how to properly relate to God. That's religion, and it's all flesh. And it may even appear outwardly to look like something holy, something good, something God-honoring. But what Jesus does is he traces everything down to the heart. He 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 burrows deep inside of us, even down to our very motivations and our soul and our spirit. And he says, I'm going to tell you that it has to be pure in the core for it to be spirit. Even outwardly obedient acts, if they're not done with the, uh, the motivation of honoring and glorifying with the, uh, the Lord and cooperating with the Holy Spirit, even those outwardly impressive, even successful uh, actions that get results, if they're not at the core from the Spirit, Jesus says they have no value. We, we need to think about that. The reason why I'm going to experience a lot of smoke at the judgment seat of Christ It's not because I've lived immorally since coming to Jesus. That's not the issue. The reason why a lot of the stuff I've done for the Lord is going to be burnt up is because of this very thing. It was good-looking stuff, but it was done in the flesh. And so when I think about that, I'm I'm just going to tell you, I'm not trying to be humble. I'm just being real because you're going to have a lot of smoke at the judgment seat of Christ. I hope we don't have a ton, but go ahead and just humble yourself and say, it's going to be a smoky moment up there because Jesus says the fire is going to hit it, and a lot of stuff's going to be burned up. And only what's done with the purity of heart in the spirit is going to pass that, that date that we have for evaluation there. So that's why we're serious about how we're living the Christian life. Um, in, in every leader's heart in the kingdom, whether it's a pastor, a prophet, an apostle, a, a parent, anybody that's exercising leadership, it is the desire of everyone to want to present those that they are leading, they want to present them to the Lord in that one sense of, of being people who are, 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 are more like Him now than they were when they began. And so, without, I don't want to throw stones at the church, but I do, I, I do want to be honest with us. Many, I, I don't want to say most, I don't think I'm qualified to make that that call, but many churches are content. With tons of activity and results. And a lot of Bible Belt successful church ministry is built on machinery that doesn't have the oil of the Spirit on it. And so those gears get rusty. And you just got to put more manpower behind them to keep those wheels turning. And everything hinges upon one person or several people making those wheels continue to spin. And what people aren't realizing is that's actually not what the Lord wants. He doesn't want your hustle. He doesn't want us as the people of God to be cranking out to the best of our talents and energies and expertise more stuff. Um, If you go to my house right now, I'm going to tell you, there's a bowl of fruit that's been there for three years. Three years. You know what it is? It's wax fruit. Looks like fruit. Shines like fruit. is as a robust looking today, three years later, it was as the day we got it from Kirkland's. But I'm going to tell you when you'll know it's not fruit, try to bite into it and get a taste. And what the Lord does is he tastes our fruit. And he says sometimes in love, this is, this is not spirit birth. Fruit. He says, Church, you need my power. He's going to be developing you in this power from the Holy Spirit. And, and, and listen, you have to slow down. You have to slow down and be intentional about operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. You, 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 if you, and I, I, I hesitate to use metaphors because they all cheapen the work and the person of the Holy Spirit but if you're going to get refueled, you have to slow down. I pulled into QT at 4.30 this morning. Do you know what I did before I filled up my tank? I put it in park. You know why? You can't put fuel in a car that is moving. And so, when it comes to the, the life, the Christ life, the life of the spirit, we have to slow down. We have to get into a place of intimacy with the Lord. And so when he does that, we encounter him and we experience his power, not only for us, but through us. So he develops us. Look, look at what Paul wrote in Romans eight twenty six. Very familiar verses. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Why do I love this? Because right out of the gate, we're not told, pretend you're not weak. We're not told, be so strong that you never have to rely upon the Lord. It is assumed that Christians are weak. It is assumed that our flesh still doesn't produce anything good. It is assumed that we will hit the backside of our limitations and have nothing left to offer. And the Bible says the Spirit helps you right there. We spend so much time trying to be, appear, or remain strong. And when we do that, we cut ourselves off from the avenues by which God wants to impart his strength unto us. Everything in our culture is designed to keep you looking strong, feeling strong, appearing strong, um, believing you're enough. And it's antithetical to the Christian uh, truths that ultimately, to even be a Christian, you have to admit you have nothing to offer. And so Paul says in this other place in Galatians, speaking of that, we start off as um, bankrupt, broken, needy, and contrite. And then once we receive Christ, we think, okay, now I got this thing. Now I'm going to go make something happen. Well, look at what Paul says in Galatians 3. He says to that kind of attitude, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? For all of my... Fellow type A high-end achiever, you're wired that way. You and I need this verse over and over and over again. Because there's something about us that says, okay, yeah, the Lord got that ball rolling, but he got it rolling. I came in behind it, and now I'm pushing. I'm just hitting it every now and then. All I got to do is keep pushing it, and what God started, I'll complete. I'm glad somebody's laughing because half the crowd's like, you have brought strange things to our ears today, Pastor. We all do it. We're not supposed to, and we need, we need to escape that. We need to retire from that kind of mindset because what Paul says is, no, you began in the Spirit. Some of you are tongue-talking, prophesying, water-walking, miracle-working, dreams-and-vision, wonder-working Christians, and I applaud you in all of that. But I want to tell you, you still need the Holy Spirit more today than you did yesterday. We never graduate this class. And if anything I've experienced with the Lord in the past is training me to believe I don't need him that much or more today, then I'm missing something. That's why we're never satisfied in yesterday's manifestation. We're never satisfied in that peak that we hit with the Holy Spirit back in 2005 or whenever it was. We know that as He is God, there is so much more of Him and His power is available to us. Listen, in the coming revival, there will be a release of Holy Spirit power through the church that will dwarf Pentecost. Some of y'all don't want to say amen to that, but I'm going to tell you, read the Bible and look. Just go through the book of Revelation. Read some of the prophecies about the end of the age. And you'll see this climax of evil on the earth. You'll see the wrath of God coming down upon unbelieving planet Earth's population. And then you will see the church furiously moving forth in the power of the Spirit with signs and wonders and miracles. And I'm not content to read about that for that unknown date out there somewhere. I'm thinking the God that was on Sinai on Pentecost And the God that will be in the revelation and the establishing of the kingdom is the God who is today. I don't want to leave caught between who he was and who he's going to be. He is. He says, I am. And the church has got to get reacquainted with the power of God on that level. It's not just about believing it. It's about because we believe it, we can't bear to live beneath it. Jude chapter 20, excuse me, Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Um, if you want my pen, yeah, I believe this is talking about praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. I believe that. Paul talked about praying in tongues. A lot of people don't believe that. That's fine. If you don't believe it's praying in tongues, then please figure out what that means and do it. Seriously, I'm, I'm not even trying to be sarcastic or badger you or anything. I'm just saying it's a command, so we can't look at it and say, well, I don't believe that's talking about tongues, therefore I don't have to think about it. It's a command. We are to pray in the Holy Spirit. Um, tongues makes no sense to the rational mind. It doesn't. Frankly, tongues, the gift of tongues is weird. It, it is illogical. It makes no sense to the rational mind, and it's because it's a holy supernatural um, enablement and gift that God releases that we can actually have no prideful part in. And it's just like the Lord to say, I'm going to tell you, you need something. It's going to build you up. And notice the, the injunction is build yourself up, the imperative. Build yourself up. In the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so I'm thinking, I, I want to be built up, not in a carnal, prideful way, but the Bible's very clear build yourself up. We build ourselves up through scripture, we build ourselves up through uh, fasting, we build ourselves up through praying in the Spirit. And so if the Bible says I need to be built up and I want to be built up and when it's connecting it to praying in the Holy Spirit, that means there is a power that builds me up that comes through praying in the Spirit. And I don't want to ignore that. And we can't ignore that. There needs to be times, friends, and listen, if if, if you are hungry for that enablement, that endowment, that gift, that experience of praying in the spirit, call it prayer language, call it speaking in tongues, there's, it's a totally separate message. But what I'm saying is if you hunger for it, chances are you're going to experience it. I was reading my prayer journals on uh, Friday. I just came down and just felt like the Lord was calling me to some, some, just some sequestered time with him. And I assumed I would either read a book that I had downloaded or I was going to just read the Bible. And I don't know why. I do know why. It was the Holy Spirit reminded me that I had some old journals handwritten in a safe from the years 1998 through about 2005. And so it's a little embarrassing, but I want to tell you, I started reading, and eight hours later, I had, well, about six hours later, six and a half, I had read through years of journals. Let me tell you what I found. I found that around the year 1999, which was three years before I had my first supernatural encounter with tongues, the beginning about in the middle of the year in 1999, every journal page I wrote was saying, Holy Spirit, I want you. Holy Spirit, I know there's something more. Holy Spirit, I don't believe everything I've been taught about you, but I don't know what to believe. I need you. I'm hungry. And as the, as the entries were made over the course of literally about a year and a half, the hunger got from where it was curious to where it was desperate. And I, I was just reading as I was like, I don't even remember writing this stuff. But no wonder in February of 2003, I got sovereignly ambushed by the Holy Spirit in my Baptist pastor's office. had never been around tongues in my life had never experienced or seen or heard tongues except for one occasion when I was a little boy in a church and I didn't know what they were doing. I'd never, never had anybody coach me in it. Never, and I wasn't even seeking tongues. I was seeking God the Spirit. And boom, that's what it felt like. Boom. And when I read that stuff yesterday, I kept hearing the Lord say, be it unto you according to your faith. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. They will be filled. So, friends, this is what I would say. Don't let it be somebody else's testimony. Safest prayer you can pray is, Lord, I don't know if Jeff's right. I don't know if all these charismatics are right. I don't know about any of this stuff. But if that's available and it brings me closer to you, I want whatever you've got. That's the safest prayer. So, going a little bit further. He energizes all ministry. We're talking about power. We're talking about power in your own spiritual walk, building yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the spirit. We're talking about ministry power too. You need power whether you are engaged in vocational ministry or not, or even volunteer ministry. We need power to wake up on Monday. We need power to glorify God in our family. We need power to be able to walk into a job we may not like and to be able to be the light that Jesus has called us to be. We need power. If you don't think you need the power of God, it's because you're not living out the assignment he's given you. Anybody can complete their own assignment in their own power, but nobody can complete God's assignment in their own power. And so, look at this. Here we go. Very familiar verse, Acts 1.8. You will receive, say the word power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus, in the inception, before the church was officially baptized at Pentecost, he says, this is what's going to happen. I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem. There's going to be power from on high. You'll know it when it comes. He didn't describe it. He just said, stay in Jerusalem until you're endued with power on high. Didn't tell him precisely what to look for. It's almost as if he's saying, you'll know it when it happens, and they did. Because the Holy Spirit came in like a rushing mighty wind with tongues of fire and flame and sound and noise. Every sensory that's in a sense that's within the human was affected at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came with power and immediately they began to witness. They were evangelizing. The church was exploding. People were getting saved. People were getting baptized. None of that happened until the power of the Holy Spirit hit them. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not primarily so you can speak in tongues. I am for tongues. Please don't leave here saying Jeff was kind of downgraded. No, what I'm saying is it's it's way too premature of a place for you to get off the train. Don't just get tongues and say, woo! Now I'm one of them. I got my badge. I'm in the club. Come on. Tongues is the evidence that something has happened, but it's not the end, it's not the destination. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be attached to power. It is where you are able to overcome things that used to bring you into bondage. It is when you are able to recognize that Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the one living his life through you. And it takes so much of the pressure off of you that your performance is no longer contained in your own abilities. It goes beyond your abilities. Why? Because it goes beyond your power. And so all of this great work in ministry began... The day of Pentecost, Jesus told them in Acts 1 it would happen. In Acts 2, it did happen. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Our gospel came not to you and only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. I love Bible. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love, I love, I love my Bible. I love the word of God. But I mourn over many years in my Christian pilgrimage where it was all that I had. I used to boast in the pulpit, all I need is me, my God, and the word of God. I used to just boast that because it sounds really spiritual. But friends, do you know how many people have the word of God but don't have the power of God? We need the Paul said, I didn't come to you only in word. You never hear Paul said, all I need is the scriptures. Paul loved the scriptures. It never took away from the, the reality that Paul loved the scriptures and was a human architect of much of the New Testament. But Paul said, I didn't come with just my Bible lessons. I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I was fully convinced with full conviction. See, friends, Some of you are going to get ushered this year. Let me give this a little prophetic deposit. Some of you believe you're not a cessationist. You believe in the availability of the gifts, but you're not pressing in for them. You've theologically crossed the line. You say, yeah, I think the gifts are available, and if God wants to give them to me, he will when he's ready. And again, that sounds spiritual. But friends, I'm going to tell you, much of the Christian life is connected to what you want. Desire is actually partially a regulator of what you experience in the Christian life. So if you can live without the power of God, if you've told yourself that, then you will. And, and God is not obligated to come force his will upon us. And so the, the, the reality is, is we've got to wake up and hunger. You know what does that? When you get in over your head, That God is so merciful to give us situations where we're in over our head and we know it. You know why? Because you know you can't trust your own resources. And so when you hit that place where you know I don't have enough and you are groaning and the spirit is groaning through you in intercession because you don't have vocabulary for what your needs are anymore. You are connecting to the one who's going to give you the power, not just your, he doesn't kind of, you know, put a little 1.2 on your power. He actually lets your power be set aside and he says, let me give you my power in the absence of your confidence in your own power. And it totally changes the whole dynamic of the Christian life. I'm never going to finish this message, so let me just finish with, it's just not going to happen. Let me get to the reality of the Holy Spirit communicating us with us um, and, and then maybe get one verse in the last point. So he empowers us, he purifies us, and the Holy Spirit communicates with us. Jesus said in John 14 in the verses I read earlier, or I didn't read 14, I read 16, but he he says in 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. Now, I'm a personal proponent of the fact That when it comes to hearing the Holy Spirit, we need to know the accent of God, and we pick up the voice of God, the the baseline for the voice of God. We find that in the written word. But the beauty of it is this. The Holy Spirit can take one verse and teach you a thousand things. It's awesome. Why? He's the teacher. He's absolutely your companion, your constantly available teacher. But the degree to which we know the voice of the Holy Spirit is usually tethered to the degree which we honor the written word of God. And because it's not two separate voices, it's one voice. But when we want to hear him, friends, we can. He doesn't only teach us originally. He brings us to remembrance, brings to our remembrance things that he already taught us. And so he is constantly available to use a rhema moment. In the word, he gives you something right now. Or excuse me, in the moment, he gives you a word for right now. But he's also an amazing retriever, and he'll go back and get something that he put in you years ago that you haven't thought about in years, and he'll bring it to the forefront of your thinking as if he's speaking it to you in that very moment for the first time. That's why we pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We ask the Lord to be able to reveal things to us, to impart things to us. Matter of fact, John 16, this is what Jesus said in the verses I read. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. That's why you should always be a truth seeker. Why? Because you have a constant guide, and that guide is God. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That prophetic spirit. That's the, the Holy Spirit is actually interested in us in understanding the end times. It's actually important to him. And he will glorify me, Jesus says. He will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit, and just in these statements from Jesus, He guides you, and as He guides you, He declares to you. That's very interactive. That, that's not just some static. That's why I love telling people, study your Bible. Why? Because when you study your Bible, when you're in the Word of God, the teacher appears and he begins to speak and declare into your spirit things that are coming from his heart. And I promise you, after 25 years of doing this at different degrees and different levels, I have studied the Bible with my intellect for years. And God did some great work. That was grace, that was amazing. But those were years where I thought I just need to be smart enough. I need to have enough resources. I got to get my Bible software. I need to study Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. I got to get all the the, uh, structure of the scriptures in line. And I studied and studied, and I don't take away from that. It's important to study the scriptures. But I'm going to tell you, it was an entirely different ballgame when the Holy Spirit came. He said, Jeff, you've done pretty good on your own for a while. I was actually working. You weren't really asking me to work, but I was working in that. Now I want you to cooperate with me. I'm like, let's do this. And you start seeing how the word of God is alive. And it's alive in this generation that has lost its appetite for it. Why? Because the author is alive. The Holy Spirit is declaring. So let me just get down to he transforms us. Five more minutes. The Holy Spirit transforms us. Nobody's there yet, okay? Pressure's off. Hunger's on, pressure's off. Don't turn your hunger off, but don't live with this idea that the pressure is on you. Man, i got to leave here. I'm so far behind, man. Holy Spirit's supposed to have be been doing this and this and this. I've wasted all these years. I just got, to, you just got in the flesh. You just took a spiritual principle, and, and now you're, you're giving into the fleshly potential to, to try to make it happen. No, 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 no. It's about surrender, constant surrender. Hunger and surrender are the two greatest dynamics. Well, I won't say the two greatest, but two great dynamics in the Christian life, humility, hunger, and surrender. I'm telling you, if we can pursue those three things at, at level 10 with the rest of our lives, it'll radically transform who we are, the people around us, and how we're doing life. So what does the Bible say about this? 2 Corinthians 3 says this, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Bible says, you don't have to feel it. You, 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 sh- you should feel it at times, but you don't have to in order for this to be true. The Bible says you are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is doing it. And what's amazing is we're all being transformed into the same image, according to 2 Corinthians 3. It's it's not like we're going to end up in heaven and somebody's going to look like Jesus, somebody's going to look like Moses, and it's not a physical appearance. It's talking about the Spirit. Everybody's, Jesus is the pinnacle. Jesus is the glory. Jesus is the one who is the theme of the eternal ages being unfolded. And so we don't want to be like Moses or Paul or Peter. We don't want to be like each other. We all want to be like Jesus. Why? Because that's what God wants us to be like. And the Bible says when we see him, we shall be like him, for we, we will see him as he is. And here's the encouragement. I know you're not quite like Jesus yet. Me either. But I am being transformed into his image. And who's doing that? The Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural, progressive, nonstop work that is in part in this life contingent upon my cooperation with it. Glorification, he's going to do that all on his own. We don't play a part in glorification. It's going to happen. When we see him, we will be like him. It's a done deal. Sanctification requires our cooperation. And to the degree that we're cooperating and learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to that same degree, we are reflecting the image of Jesus to one another and to a world that doesn't know him. Ephesians 3.16 talks about the Holy Spirit releasing his power within us, that according to the riches of Christ's glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So again, I'm just highlighting there that the transformative process, the transformational process that God is working in all of our lives, is internal. What religion does is it tries to go from the outside in. Religion says, if I can just master these formulas, these rules, these laws, these standards, if I can just try to crush this tendency in me and keep it pinned down all of my fourscore and five years, if I can just keep that thing pinned down, no, 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 no. You're managing your flesh, and that's always catastrophic. The flesh has got to die, and what happens is the new life comes from the inside out, not the outside in. And then finally, and I'll just finish here. The Holy Spirit reframes us from fear to confidence, and not a Dr. Phil confidence. That's not what I'm talking about. I like Dr. Phil. No, no, I'm not throwing stones at him, but that's not the confidence we're aiming for. He reframes us from fear to confidence. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, fill you with peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Christians, in the Holy Spirit, Never, ever, 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 ever give up. Never give up. You are destined as one who is appointed to hope. We hope in time and we have hope for beyond time. We don't give up on each other. We don't ever give up on the Lord. When a Goliath stands over us in full armor and a, an a armor bearer in front of him and all we've got is five rocks and a sling, we look at Goliath and we say, oh, this is going to be the worst day of, of your life that it's about to come to an end. And you don't do that in fleshly confidence. You do that because you have hope in a God who is the God of triumph. He's the God of all grace. I'm going to promise you something. Would you stand to your feet? I want to acknowledge the fact that in this message, we've all had an opportunity to say, man, I'm not where I could be. I may not be where I should be. But don't you leave here condemned because the reason he sent the message is to show you something more, to elevate your appetite. And he punctuates all of this call to live lives with an awareness of the necessity of the Holy Spirit. He punctuates the message by saying, and you have really, really strong reason to always hope. So you don't give up on you. You don't give up on others. You don't give up on God. You don't allow what you are experiencing in the kingdom to pass through the lens of all that's wrong in the world or all that's lacking in you. Sometimes we just have to press into the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, all I got today is a big blob of me. And it's, it's kind of ugly. It's insufficient. It's insufficient because I've just been in your presence and you are a God worthy of all glory and I know I cannot manufacture anything in my flesh that will bring you pleasure and glory. So Lord, I don't know if I need to start over, but I do know this, Lord, I don't want to do this thing in my own power anymore and Holy Spirit, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. And So Father, for those whose heart resonates in hunger today, help us to escape the snafu of doctrinal debates about the Holy Spirit and just plunge us headlong into a a, a thirsting and a hunger for him. Holy Spirit, we worship you and adore you. You are God Almighty. You live in us. We want to learn you and know you and love you. We want to cooperate with you. We want your power. We want your gifts. We want a crucifixion of our flesh that serves as an imposter to what you offer. We welcome you in our lives as individuals. And I say, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this spiritual family. We want you and we want an increase of your presence. Do with us as you have ordained. You're worthy of our obedience our trust and our hope in Jesus' name, amen.